Hi, I'm Daniel Hagedorn, and I'm here with my beautiful, amazing wife, Vicki Hagedorn. Say hi, honey. Hi. There. Hi, that everybody. Was her. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we are bringing this podcast to you. This is our PK4L podcast, and we wanted to just talk to you about how to establish a foundation uh, for your child so they can effectively deal with loss. Because honestly, we, we believe, both of us working together uh, in our various fields, um, my wife, a grief recovery counselor for over 16 years, taking hundreds of people through this process. Myself, I've worked for 30 years with kids, uh, high school kids in various capacities as a teacher, counselor, um, youth ministry, different capacities. And there, there are some things that we really share and things that we've really seen uh, that, you know, really, I believe will go a long way towards helping uh, all of us as parents. Um, give our children a foundation for effectively dealing with loss. Because if, if you really think about it, none of us uh, are perfect people. Um, we're imperfect people, right? Uh, living in a fallen, broken world. I, I mean, you just have to look at the news for about 30 seconds and you see the kinds of things that are going on. Yeah. And so because of that, it is, it is sad, but it's, but it's also true our children are going to deal with loss. Yeah. It's really just a matter of, are they gonna be able to deal with that loss effectively, or will that loss have a crippling effect on their lives? And so we just really want to delve into this because honestly, our mantra, we say this over and over and over because we believe in this so much, is really that parents are the number one experts in the world on their own children. And we believe that for two simple reasons. Number one, parents love their kids more than anybody else walking the planet. And two, parents are more committed to their children's success, to their children developing into the best version of themselves than anyone else on the planet. That makes parents the number one expert. It's just a matter of having the right tools. And so one of these tools that we have found through our own lives, through personal experience in seeing this is helping create a home where our children have a foundation to effectively deal with loss. In fact, if you just, if you think about this across all domains of, of research, psychology, sociology, neuroscience, the one element above and beyond all others that is necessary uh, for having uh, a thriving home is emotional safety. And so as, as parents, our ability to embrace negative emotions, both our own and our children, is critical to building that foundation of emotional safety. So the big question, right, the, the million dollar question is, great, so how do we become emotionally safe for not only ourselves, but more importantly, for our kids? And I'll just put that question to my wife. Thank you. I, I think it's a great question, and I think that it's important to understand that you as a parent are helping wire your children's brains, literally. You are helping them do that as they are writing the story of their life. Every interaction that you have with your kids, especially the first five years, form their perspective of who they are, who God is, if they are worthy of love, if people are safe, 
and how life works. Yeah, definitely. Now that might seem like a lot of pressure, right? And it, and it kind of is. And that's why it's really important that we learn as, as adults and as parents how to help do that in a really positive way. This is um, something to think about. The creator, God, our creator, designed families to be the primary source of influence in the lives of children. Both the father and mother were given the responsibility of teaching their children about God themselves, others, and how life works. And that is so important. And if you think about it, during the first seven years of life, our brains are only able to download information. So think about your kids right now. Um, however old they are, their first about seven years of life, their brains are only able to download. They have no filters. They're not able to uh, discern if this is good, bad, right or wrong. And that's why it's so important for parents to help their children interpret the experiences that they have. And we talk a lot about how to do that in, um, we're going to talk a lot more about that in this podcast. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I think, um, you know, the, like, like you said, part of it is, is really a little scary because we're the ceiling for our kids. Yeah. Our kids are not going to develop beyond what we do. And, and the hard truth is that, you know, our, our, our kids are in some ways limited by us. Not because we want to limit them, not because, but, but simply because whatever we aren't willing to face, confront, and courageously change in our own lives, in our own hearts, we leave behind for our children, mm. for better or for worse. And I love how you, one of the things that you say in, in one of your other podcasts is that we as parents are the gatekeepers and the interpreters. And that's yeah. our role. That's yeah. a, a big role that we have in our kids' lives. Yeah. And like so, that. so yes, that is a little scary, but you know, but what a, what a cool thing. I mean, God could have given our kids to any one of seven and a half billion people on planet earth. If he didn't think you could handle it, if he didn't think you were the right person for the job, don't you think God in all of his wisdom would have given your children to someone else. Mm. So yes, this is no doubt about it. There's no sugarcoating it. It's an immense responsibility, but it's also an immense blessing. And it's an amazing experience to, to watch as our children's lives unfold, as we're helping our children step into the best version of themselves. And I just want to throw this question out there too. So in, in taking all this in, how do we know if our child is, is just simply grieving or, or if they're acting out, because there's a difference there, right? If they're grieving, there's one way we're going to handle it. And if they're acting out, then there's a very different way we're going to handle it. So how do we know? That's a really good question. And the short answer is that it's usually both. Temper tantrums, isolation, tears of frustration, all of those, those behaviors are almost always the tip of an iceberg whose mass is much bigger and deeper below the surface. In most interactions with your kids, you'll see that these behaviors are met with discipline, harsh words, irritation, and sometimes even sending them away to basically get yourself together, get them together. Were you ever told or have you ever said, if you're going to cry, go to your room? Because mm. emotions are challenging and that's quite an understatement. And all of, all kids are different too. Some 
are really emotionally outward. Some are more emotionally inward. Some act out more and some. So how do we help our kids navigate the waters of disappointment, insecurity, fear, anxiety, rejection, loss, grief? Guess what? All of those things are grieving experiences. So how do we do that? And my question to you is, how do you navigate those waters? How do you as the parent, as the adult, navigate waters? What do you believe? What do you teach? Because what you believe yeah. is what you teach, right? I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna teach your kids from a place of whatever you believe, which is why really aligning your beliefs with what's true is so vital to this whole process. Because if we don't do that, then all we're really doing is we're piling Band-Aid on top of Band-Aid on top of Band-Aid instead of really going to the core root of the issue and bringing the truth into that and, and allowing that process to change us from the inside out. That's so true. And it's important to look at how <clears throat> do you process grief? Do you believe you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and soldier on? Mm. Uh, do you isolate? Do you drink more wine, go shopping? Or just numb out just to survive the next hour, day, week, month, year. It's very interesting and it's something that you really want to look at because your kids are going <clears throat> to do what you do. Yeah. They are going to definitely follow in what they're learning by your example. So establishing an emotionally safe home can only happen when we listen to one another with dignity and respect. And that means, as a parent, giving that same dignity and respect to our kids. We demand and we expect them to treat us with dignity and respect. And we have to make sure that we are giving them dignity and respect as well. Mm -hmm. um, when we refrain from judging, minimizing, or comparing how someone is reacting, it's That's... really hard. It's easy to do those things, right? Yeah. It's easy to judge or minimize. It's so easy when your kid comes home and, you know, something happened and you can easily say something like, well, you know, she, Sally didn't mean that. It's minimizing not to hear them. Um, as parents, we are responsible for this physical and emotional welfare of our kids. But how do we teach them to process difficult things? How do we help them interpret emotional pain from rejection, jealousy, bullying, or loss? And the, mm. the very short answer to that is that you as the parent go first. That is the short answer. It's <laughs> a very short answer. And what do I specifically mean by that? We need to take a moment, get eye level, um, and really share. Let them share and share so that they see that they're not alone. This is when we think about, remember the instructions you're given anytime you fly on a plane? It says, if you are traveling with a child or someone who requires assistance, place your oxygen mask on first, then assist the other person. The parent needs to model the process by actively and intentionally engaging their children through emotional transparency and listening. Mm. Yeah. A good thing is, authentic listening and that means that you are able to see past their outward behavior to the root of the problem without being triggered 
And you know what I want to say right there, that is also another reason why parents need to really be dealing with their own stuff. Yes. Because because honestly, you can have the best intent. I can say this from personal experience and my own failure. You can have the best intention. You can absolutely mean the best, want the best, and still something happens, something said, and you're triggered. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't dealt with that, now that is getting dumped all over your kid. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, sadly, you know, I've done that to my daughter where I've just, I've been triggered on something and I just dumped all over her because it, it triggered it. And, and then that points to me to, you know what, rather than self-condemn and shame myself, I'm like, all right, that's an area I need to work on. I need to figure out the root of that and go address that so that I am no longer inflicting that on my daughter. And that's the simple but not easy part of all this. All this is actually very, very simple. It's not rocket science in in that sense. It's very simple, but oh, it is far, far, far from easy. It's so true. Yes, it makes me think of a line that I've learned from our uh, mentor is, when you are easily triggered or easily provoked, it's a low level of leadership. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly that we need to deal with our stuff so that we can be present for our kids and for our spouses, um, yeah. and to think about in their in their moment, they're melting down. What is the root of the problem? Are they feeling rejected? Are they feeling unloved or unworthy? Can we listen to their attitudes and experiences without taking it personally, without becoming angry, without minimizing or trying to fix them? This is a great quote. It's people who feel listened to and understood are people who learn to understand. People who understand are people who love. Mm, it's I a love great that. quote. I love um, that. And children need to feel safe if they're going to learn a new, different, or better way to deal with emotions caused by loss of any kind. When they learn to recognize and process their own experiences, they will be able to do that. Um, so before we go any further, I want to just take a minute and, sh- and share about what grief is and what grief is not. Yes. And uh, I think this is a great quote. And yes. if you are taking notes, I would write this one down because <laughs> this is something, and in Grief Recovery, we, we teach this every single week in the classes. And grief is the conflicting feelings caused by the end or change of a familiar pattern of behavior. So if you think about that, there are many, many, many things that cause grief in our lives. And if you think about a child, they get these feelings constantly throughout a day. Um, it's quite a statement because it really opens your mind to the things in your life you might have not have considered to be grief. In fact, including death and divorce, there are more than 40 grieving experiences we will likely encounter in our lifetime. You know what? That's such a good point because I think, I, you know, something I've noticed just in, in a lot of people that, uh, that you've talked to about the classes that you've done over the years so many of them, their first response is, oh, well, um, I haven't had anybody die. Yeah. Or, and so there's a, there's a understanding that, that a lot of us share that that's pretty much the only quote unquote grief we will experience. True. You know, and, and I think that we really need to expand our minds to encompass all that grief really is. Our lives are filled with hundreds of losses of varying degrees and of varying sizes but we all experience them at 100%. So right. they all matter immensely to our own life. And if we don't see that and address that, then we're really, um, 
allowing that to just kind of pile up and pile up and pile up and then eventually something bad's going to happen you know, from that. Because grief is accumulative, so it exactly does that. It piles up. And the single largest source of emotional confusion in our society steps from the false idea that we somehow should not allow ourselves to experience sad, painful, or negative feelings. Mm. That's so confusing. Yeah. Is that we're, you know, we get told by people all the time different things and understand that grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss. In and of itself, grief is neither a pathological condition nor a personality disorder. Grief is normal and it's normal mm-hmm. to feel sad when sad things happen. Yeah. So remember that the information that children rely upon to cope with loss is learned very early in life. Consequently, this becomes their default setting whenever they experience losses after that, great or small. Most of us have been taught to intellectualize our emotions. Mm. We are taught that without even thinking about it. We're, we're given intellectual answers to our emotional feelings. And you can't, you can't heal our, I always say this, you cannot heal your heart with your head. So we're taught, though, to do that with statements like this. You know, don't feel bad. She lived a long life or she's in a better place. Don't feel bad. There's other fish in the sea. Um, don't feel bad. At least he's no longer suffering. Yeah, I just want to say, though, I mean, the people saying that, they're doing that with good intentions. Sure. I mean, they're Absolutely. saying this because they're trying to bring comfort. Right. They're trying to, you know, be there for you. But... You know, like we all know, I mean, some of the some of the worst damage is done in the name of sincerity, Seriously, right? Not yes. in the name of trying to be a, a jerk, you know. <laughs> so um, it isn't it isn't that these people are bad. It's just that again, if we don't if we don't understand how to process this in in a healthy way, then all we really do is pass on bad information from generation to the next. So true. So, and when people are hurting, and someone says. Pretty much anything that starts with don't feel bad mm. um, or that they should or that they should be feeling a certain way. What ends up happening is the person that's hurting starts to feel bad for feeling bad. And it's mm. really is it any wonder that people who are hurting quickly learn to stop talking about it. Kids, they're so smart and they intuitively understand that most people just want them to hurry up and get over it. Right. And it's, it's really damaging. It's so damaging. We've really been taught and are teaching our kids to be dishonest by telling them they shouldn't be feeling what they're feeling, by not giving them a safe place to be honest about what they're feeling. And even worse, we reward behavior that suppresses their natural and normal feelings of sadness. So how do we do that? By saying things like, oh, isn't she brave or isn't he strong? Because children learn quickly that happy feelings are good and those equal reward and sad feelings are bad and those equal punishment. That which is rewarded is repeated. So we're teaching our kids from a young age to deal with grief and loss the way we do. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, it isn't very healthy. It's just not something that's, that's taught or like Dan said, we just learn these things and then we just keep passing them on. And teaching kids to bypass sad, painful, or negative emotions can and will have disastrous consequences. And that is not an exaggeration. Hearing don't feel bad 
can be found at the beginning of numerous phrases that tell a child what they are feeling is wrong. And sadly, it doesn't take long for don't feel bad to be translated into don't feel at all. Mm. And we all know millions of ways that we numb out um, as adults because we were never, ever taught how to process our emotions. So by the time a child reaches five, guess what? They will have heard at least 23,000 don't feel bad messages. And they're all reinforced with intellectual answers. And I think too, it's, it's, if kids don't know how to process, then, then what they do is they figure out how to not feel them. Yeah. And that's why, you know, you see all these statistics about the, the number of, of even the rise of, of suicides among teens and younger Absolutely. Uh, you see the amount of drug and alcohol abuse going on. And, and a lot of times people decry these as, you know, great um, social ills and harms. And I'm not saying don't deal with them or don't address them. But honestly, until we look at what's causing it in the first place, then nothing's really, really going to change. Like I said right. at the beginning of the podcast, it really just boils down to all we're doing is designing bigger and better band-aids. Right. But we're never actually addressing the core of the problem. And this is what's so powerful is that if if you can raise your children with an understanding of their feelings as they're going through and processing life and you're helping them to interpret them, then those things don't really have an appeal because they don't need to like block stuff out. They're able to just live in their life. They're able to live in the present. They're able to exist and thrive in their own skin instead right. of constantly feeling a need to be anywhere else but inside their heads and hearts. And so I think it's just a powerful thing. That's true. And I'm thinking as you were sharing that about just how many young girls are struggling with eating disorders mm. and cutting and different ways that they're mutilating themselves because they're not comfortable in their own skin. And um, I know that from my own experience of those things when I was younger and working through many, many things to be comfortable in my own skin that mm. took years and years. And I love this quote from um, an author that we like, um, L.R. Nost is her name. And it says, there are no bad children. There are bad choices. There are bad moments. There are bad days. There are even bad situations, but there are no bad children, period. Mm. Um, almost without exception, children become whatever they believe to be true about themselves. Oh, yeah. So true. And, and a lot of times they believe because of their experiences and especially being shut down when they have emotional feelings, they believe that they're not wanted. They feel rejected. They feel they're not good enough. And ultimately that they're inherently bad. You know what's cool though? Now we're, we're approaching this from a negative standpoint, but think of it this way. If you are stepping into this gap here and you are, are training your children in a, in a healthy way to thrive in these sorts of environments, all of these bad things we're talking about actually flip yeah. and they all become positives. And so now you're building strength into your children. You're building resiliency. You're building compassion. You're building understanding. You're building the ability to overcome obstacles that come their way. You're building in them wisdom. You're, you're building amazing, incredible things, helping them to really truly step into the design for which God made them. 
Yeah. And, and, and so all that we're talking, I just don't want to lose that because we're, we're talking about the ways in, in which this is harmed. And mm, th- that's true. We have to confront it. We have to confront it. But on the flip side, when this is done in a healthy way, oh my gosh, I mean, our kids really, it's just an amazing transformation that you get to see. And so I just want to throw that out there as we go through this. That's awesome. Yes. And um, a lot of times what we've learned is how to intellectualize our emotions. Mm. And those are the things that we tend to pass on by, yeah. by speaking this way, right? We combine damaging self-beliefs with this, this emotional intellect intellectualization is that the right word <laughs> yeah, yeah there you uh, go. <laughs> and it works but surviving is not thriving what i mean by it works is it works to survive survival mode who, functional yeah, yeah functional. functional and who likes to live in survival mode i don't yeah it's awful my <laughs> goal like... is to be functional no i mean like i want to thrive i want to live I wanna, exactly yeah. <laughs> survival mode to me reminds me of white knuckling just yeah. holding on for yeah. your life because surviving <clears throat> is not thriving. And I think, and we both probably think that we'll agree that this destructive combination has caused immeasurable harm to our intimate lives, mm. to our ability to connect, to be present, and to maintain healthy emotional and physical boundaries. Yeah. And this is not what we want to pass on to our kids. Many of the statements that we make or hear during times of loss may be intellectually true, but are seldom emotionally helpful. In fact, a lot of times they are almost always emotionally harmful. Mm. This, is, this is a great example. A young kid, let's say a young boy at eight years old, loses his dog to old age. This is his dog who is his best friend. He lays on this dog and he talks to this dog. And <laughs> yeah. this dog has been with him since birth practically. But he'll hear his parents or, or other adults say things like, Oh, you should be grateful for the time you had with her. Oh, don't feel bad. We'll get you another dog. <clears throat> don't feel bad. She's in a better place, and your little brother needs you to be strong right now. Any of those things sound familiar? Mm. Any of those things we're tempted to say? Of course, because we want to kind of make it better in the moment. But true strength teaches children how to communicate feelings, not bury them. For example... Whenever a child shows emotions, parents have been programmed to ask them, what's wrong? I find myself doing this all the time. What's wrong? Even when I ask my husband that or when someone (laughs) asks me that. And the truth is there's nothing wrong with them. Right. And, And it's an interesting thing to think about how asking someone that makes someone feel that they're wrong, right? Already I'm wrong. I'm inherently bad, right? Going back to that. But there is, they're simply experiencing conflicting emotions, And a better way to help our kids connect to their feelings is to just change the wording. Hey, I notice you seem to be down. I notice you seem to be frustrated, sad, angry, any of those. Would you like to talk about it? Being inviting. Um, What's wrong? It just sounds very condemning, right? So just changing the tone, changing the wording. Amazing. And then let them talk. Let it be quiet for a minute. They might, first of all, they're not used to that. They're not at all used to that. Right. Um, Give them time to talk. Allow them that space. Patience goes a long way here. It Mm. will communicate that listening to them is the most important thing in the world to you right now. And it's going to take some practice. And after some time, if they are unable to communicate, then model what sharing looks like. 
This is what we meant by when we said go first. Give them the chance to talk, but if they're not, they might not. They might not open up. Be transparent in sharing your feelings, and that will eliminate your child's fear of being judged. Include feeling words, like how something you experienced made you feel sad or afraid or embarrassed. We're taught in life how to acquire things, but we're never taught what to do when we lose them. I love that quote mm, from I John James. That's yeah. so that's so true. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, again, as parents, we haven't been taught how to do this right. for ourselves. So we're dealing with, you know, this awkwardness of, okay, I know something's really sad or or whatever here, but I don't know how to process it. I don't know how to help my kid to process it. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And we just kind of go back to whatever default we came up with. But the more comfortable, again, the more we deal with our own stuff, right? Then the more comfortable we are with these feelings when we come up, we're not ashamed of them. We're not embarrassed of them. We're able to share them openly and transparently and model that for our kids. Hmm. Like we said at the beginning, and we've said a couple times throughout this podcast, our kids aren't going to do something we're not able to train them to do. And the only way we can train them to do it is we're, it's not going to come by reading it out of a manual. It's not going to come by helping them, having them watch a YouTube video. It's, right. it's only going to come from them seeing it lived out in our lives in front of them in real time. So true. And they'll only express their hearts in a safe environment. Yeah. How many of you have ever been hurting, have ever been going through something, and someone asks how you're feeling or how are you doing, and you start to talk, and all of a sudden they go, oh, you should fill in the blank. Or, oh, yeah, that happened to me. I know exactly how you feel. You don't talk anymore. You realize quickly what a safe environment is for you to share your heart. And kids do too. Mm. So it follows that our kids need to be heard with dignity and respect by not being told how they should be feeling, right? And we're not guaranteed a life without difficulties. Like Dan said at the beginning, we live in a fallen world, right? We're definitely not guaranteed a life without difficulties. But at least if we offer security of attachment in our relationships with with our children from the beginning, we will be providing an important starting place of connection. And that's where the brain and the mind have a source of resilience Mm. from from which to start the journey of life. That's huge. It's an attachment. It's attachment research validates the notion that parents matter. You can, as a parent, prime the brain to lean towards security. Mm. Like he, like Dan was saying, it's the opposite, right? We, we look at all the ways that we can hurt our kids, but by being heard, we can literally prime our kids' brain to be secure. It's powerful. Because secure parents create safe environments. And that's why rewriting our own story is critical to raising kids who live, love, and lead well. Um, the more secure we are in our own story, the more sensitive we can be to our children's, to their needs for love and affection and attention, and respond appropriately to them in a safe home. We, we can't let our stuff go unresolved. Yeah, so consider this. Unresolved grief is about undelivered communication of an emotional nature. That's a big, big statement. And, yeah. and that's part of our grief recovery class and part of our workshop is understanding that grief is normal and natural. 
and everyone experiences it. What you don't want is to keep it unresolved. If you've had a loss of a parent or someone really close to you that happened a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if you, you can um, know that time does not heal that loss and it remains unresolved unless you go about getting it complete. And think about, I, I think there's so much hope in this statement that it's about delivering communications. That's how we get complete. It is the action of discovering and communicating the undelivered emotions which attach to any relationship that changes or ends. And there are tried and true methods to help you do that. And that's what I love about PK4L. And when Dan and I decided to work together at Preparing Kids for Life a little over a year ago, when we really decided to pull together mm -hmm. and do this, uh, I felt like, oh my gosh, the things that I'm passionate about and have spent the majority of my adult life doing and the things that he does work so perfectly yeah, together. It's, it really does. It's really cool. Yeah. And we <clears throat> offer workshops and conferences um, on grief recovery, uh, when children grieve, and we're excited too because this right here, we have an ebook that goes with this podcast on building an emotionally safe home. And you can get that by going to welcomepk4l.com and you can get that ebook. If you just give us your email, it'll get sent right to your inbox. A really cool uh, ebook that has a lot of what we've been talking about today really laid out in a cool way that will help you have something at your fingertips to kind of go back to. Because there's a lot of information that we've given you in this short amount of time. Yeah, it's not like you can just instantly take all this in and process it. It is, it is I think, really helpful just to have, and it's free, you know, but it's yeah. I think it's very important just to have something that you can kind of physically look at, refer to, and and see because it's, you know, we retain so little of what we what we hear even, you know, and... It's just great to to have something that you can, I think, uh, use to to build off of. Because, man, parents, you are really the the heroes of of this of this larger journey. Mm -hmm. It's not an exaggeration to say that that society um, depends upon parents. So we're just so excited to have you be a part of this. We're so excited to partner with you, and we look forward to our next podcast with you yeah one more time really quick go to p welcome pk4l.com to get the ebook